Let us worship God. first reading this morning is from the 80th Psalm, beginning with the first verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your fresh word might fall upon us this day. Amen. To the leader on lilies, a covenant of Asaph, a psalm. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, 
shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is from Matthew 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. 
And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Selethiel, and Selethiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathen, and Mathen the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. So ends our gospel reading. I want you to know that I spared you. <laughs> what I really wanted to do this morning was to read the whole genealogy in Matthew 1 for our gospel text. 40 of the hardest to pronounce Old Testament names, some of which would have been familiar to you, and others of which would have been complete head scratchers. I looked at some of your faces and you were really scratching your heads. All of which would have significantly cut into our coffee hour, so I spared you. But I wanted us to hear those names, however tedious it might have seemed, because that list makes a point about the context of the Christmas story, the setting in which this very familiar story comes to us. We are so used to the, the scene of Mary and Joseph and the Christ child in the manger. We are so used to that scene. It's such a beautiful, intimate scene. It's really the scene that screams Christmas. But that scene can also 
feel very removed from us, right? As if the Holy Family was airdropped into the 21st century from another planet. Who are these people? Where did they come from? We don't get the sense of the generations and generations of their forebears. All those fathers and mothers who waited and prayed and hoped and then waited some more for the Messiah to come. These were not figures who were frozen in stained glass or carved from marble. The people who made up Jesus' family tree were real people who lived in the real world with circumstances that challenged them and gave them pause. People who were part of messy, dysfunctional families. People who lived under oppressive regimes and also those, sadly, who ruled those oppressive regimes. They were people who had to make hard choices using their wits and intelligence and truthfully sometimes deceit to get them through. They were people like us who sometimes rose to faith when God spoke to them and also like us, people who doubted God and lost their way and stumbled. It's all there in this list of names, the good, the bad, and the very, very complicated. For anyone who thinks Christianity is about perfectly obedient people walking the straight and narrow on the high road to righteousness, here's a list of 40 names to tell us otherwise. They are a mixed bag. Even the best ones have their issues, am I right? Abraham, the father of our faith, the man to whom God showed a sky full of stars and made a magnificent promise. So shall your descendants be, God said to him. But the Lord was slow to act. And Abraham, of course, had to take matters into his own hands with Hagar, his servant girl. And then there's David. Of course, David's on the list. He's Israel's best king, slash poet, slash musician, slash military hero. He kind of did it all. He is the one called a man after God's own heart, which is high praise. But David is also someone who is fatally flawed because included in the genealogy are these words. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And we think, oh dear, the scriptures are startlingly candid. You know, a man after God's heart and an adulterer. Couldn't we have edited that part out? But Matthew sees fit to include that scandalous detail. And there are other surprises here too. Foreigners are included in what you might have expected to be an Israelites only list. Jesus has got Moabite blood in him. Jesus is our mixed race savior. 
Another shocking detail, besides Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, other women are named in this family tree. Women who even in their poverty, in their vulnerability, in their invisibility, said yes to the invitations put in front of them, and maybe without necessarily intending it, found themselves in the story of God. Women like Tamar and Rahab, Ruth and Mary. Friends, this Christmas story is shockingly human. And I mean by that the full range of human. And like every good story, it's full of beauty and heartbreak and struggle and promise. And it's a scandalous story. If you have been watching The Crown on Netflix, you know how pretty much the whole long saga of Queen Elizabeth is about her not only dealing with messy British politics, but also her messy British family. She's the queen. She has a title to protect. She's supposed to be the model of the highest integrity, the exemplar of British values. But oh my gosh, those kids of hers, that rebellious sister, that Nazi uncle, this family is one scandal after another. Scandal is what we run away from. Scandal is what we try to avoid at all costs. So what does it say to us? That scandal is exactly the setting God chooses to be the one in which Jesus, our Savior, is born. That was not an accident. It's not like the Holy One was wringing his hands and saying, oh, well, it's a pretty dysfunctional family, but I guess these guys will have to do. The mess was on purpose. Entering the scandal was the point. Don't let that pretty Christmas card scene obscure the truth that every inch of the Christmas story is dripping with scandal. Scandal which somehow in the beautiful providence of God becomes an invitation to say yes to God. Let's for a minute sit with Joseph. He's one of those biblical characters who can get kind of lost in the story, kind of flattened out, kind of not allowed to be fully human. Mary's got the spotlight every year in the Christmas pageant. It's all about Mary in some ways. She has the best lines. She even gets to sing a song. Joseph is kind of there. He never speaks. And when all the action does happen for Joseph, it's when he's sleeping. So, you know, not exactly high drama. But for a moment, consider where the drama is happening for Joseph. Joseph has a moral and ethical crisis on his hands. He is a righteous man in an unrighteous situation. 
The woman that he is engaged to is pregnant and the child is not his. Mary has been unfaithful. It's humiliating. It's a disgrace. So what does he do? Let me ask first, what do you do when you are face to face with a crisis that is not of your making? Do you resort to blaming and judgment? Do you feel sorry for yourself? Do you make a plan? There are really no good options for Joseph. There's no path he can choose that is free of scandal. There's no decision he can make that won't cost him. To marry Mary would be to join himself to Mary's failure. And out of faithfulness to Torah, he cannot do that. Joseph's within his rights under the law to cast Mary aside and let her bear public shame for her betrayal. As a righteous man, he must divorce Mary, but as a compassionate man, he decides to do this quietly so as not to call public attention to Mary's failure. This still leaves Mary in an awful place, and Joseph himself will still have to bear the shame of her betrayal, but at least he can walk away, or so he thinks. Quietly, is how Matthew describes, quietly while he is sleeping, which is sometimes the only way God can get to us, you know, when we're not busy making our plans, the Holy One comes to Joseph in a dream. And it's a wild one. Don't be afraid, the angel says, which in angel language tells you that what's about to come next is going to make you very afraid. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Okay, why? For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You will name him Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He is the fulfillment of a story a long time in the making. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I told you it was crazy. Part of allowing Joseph to be fully human is to allow him the freedom of having a will. He's not a puppet. He has a will. He has freedom. He has agency. Joseph's superpower is that he listens. He listens to God and changes his mind. That is not a small thing. Joseph chooses to listen to the angel's words and trace out that path where those wild words led. He chooses to act on them, even if what he's been told is outrageous. We probably want our angels to tell us, do not fear, God is going to spare you this trial. God's going to remove this painful struggle from your life. But it's more than likely, if it's the living God that's doing the talking, that we will hear, do not be afraid as I walk with you in the wilderness. 
Do not be afraid as I stay with you in that costly struggle. The scandalously good news comes right there to that place, that place where we are losing heart, where we are afraid, where we are bereft of answers. So our wordless friend Joseph says yes to the summons God issues to him in the middle of his crisis, a yes that pulls Joseph right into the heart of a deeper story. And friends, that is the powerful thing that happens when we say yes to God. I have a friend who is dying. She has stage four glioblastoma or brain cancer. And while she's had surgery and radiation, the doctors are not calling this a cure. But it is more time. My friend Julia worked for decades in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco with an organization called Because Justice Matters, a ministry which comes alongside women in that neighborhood and supports them in all possible ways. Julia is a totally relational person. She radiates welcome and love the kind of person who puts people at ease and makes you feel seen. She's funny, she's down to earth, and she tells the best stories. One of her roles at BJM was to take a team of volunteers once a week to the strip clubs of San Francisco and simply befriend the women who work there. Julia came to my former church at a time when our community was facing a difficult crisis. And at one of the lowest points in my life, she was a friend to me. And now she is dying. Because of where the tumor is, Julia struggles to speak. I know she is grieving what she is losing. Her speech, her strength, the capacity to relate to people in the way that she once did. And it's a huge loss. I do miss the person that she was, but I also see the new ways she is still being invited to say yes to God to say yes to God and her own transformation. I see her becoming more human, not less. I see her deepening into more of the person she is meant to be. I see from watching her that grief and beauty can live together. I see her ministry take a new form as she quietly avails herself to God and this unknown wilderness where she now lives. Whenever I visit Julia, I like to sing with her. And in one of our visits, we sing an old spiritual called Give Me Jesus. 
There's a verse in that song that goes, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, and when I come to die, give me Jesus. And when we get to that part, I start to break down. I can't get the words out. And Julia kind of pulls me towards her and hugs me. And at this point, we are both just shaking with emotion. The tears on our cheeks are mingling together. And I say to her, the only reason I can let go of you is I know Jesus is going to catch you on the other side. And friends, that is the biggest scandal of all. Not that we can say yes to God as powerful as that is, but that God has said yes to us amazingly, magnificently in Jesus the Christ. Yes to all that comes with being human, our faithfulness, and our failures to be faithful, life and death, the full range of our humanity, which Jesus understands from the inside. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And people, that is just wild. God is not God above us, but God with us. With us in the wilderness, with us in the difficult diagnosis, with us in that strained relationship, with us in the midst of our fears and disappointments and just a whole lot of ordinary, with us in the beauty and the heartbreak of what it means to be human and in all the ways that we, along with creation, continue to groan for our redemption in all of this. God is with us. This Christmas, let's practice something wild. Along with the gift giving and the Christmas cookies and eggnog, let's practice that we actually can bring the full range of our lives to God. Even the fearful bits. Even the parts nobody else knows. And then let's listen for the summons to rise up and trace out where love is leading us. Do not be afraid to say yes. God is with us. Amen.
as we continue now with the prayer chants, you are invited in the silence of your hearts to offer your prayers of intercession and supplication, those prayers for the world, for those you love, and for yourself to be given to God. Thank you. 
Holy One, you have fed us with bread, with song, in word, and in community. And for that, we give you our thanks and our praise. Amen. Friends, nothing is off limits. You are invited to bring the full range of your lives to God. Say yes to God's yes to you. And may the grace of God who created you in love, the peace of Christ who teaches it is possible to be loved, and the power of the Spirit who calls you ever forward into new experiences of love, be and abide with you this day, this week, and evermore. Mm -hmm.